Hello, and welcome to Localities Making Bank podcast with host Keith Costello, co-founder and CEO of Locality Bank. Sit back, relax, and let South Florida visionaries take you on an entrepreneurial journey from tribulation to triumph as they share the very stories that have shaped them. Tim Hasi, welcome to Locality Bank's Making Bank podcast. Thanks for having me, Keith. I'm glad to be here. So that's a really special podcast because uh, Tim is the founder of General Provision, which is where we're doing the podcast and where we've done all the podcasts right here. It's also very special to me because it's where Locality Bank started. And back in 2020, when I started, I had a little desk here <laughs> upstairs and you know, I was working on the business plan for you know eight months uh, out of this place. And then we launched the bank right here, and this is our headquarters still, you know, which people don't recognize. We're a $100 million bank now. We have about a 200-square-foot office upstairs. So per square foot, we are, you know, probably the – we have more assets uh, per square foot than any bank in, in the world, we believe. Um, but we're also in the cloud, so that's how that's how we're able to do it. So, But anyway, this is not about Locality Bank. It's about uh, Tim Hasse and, and General Provision and all the things that you've done. So, so Tim. Let's go back to, uh, you know, your origin. Where are you from? I always like to start out that way, you know, a little history. Sure. Yeah. Well, I mean, the locality story is our story, right? So, I, I mean, it's, <laughs> it's very easy to tie the, the things together yeah. here. But um, I'm a Floridian. I grew up on the west coast of Florida on Anna Maria Island. But after college, I ended up down here. And Which um, I went to school in Jacksonville, Jacksonville University. Okay. Uh, I played football up there. That's really the only reason why I stayed in the state. Otherwise, I, I, I would have went, went, went north to, uh, to play in other places, but I wanted to stay warm. Yeah. And so, you know, being by the water and being uh, in the ocean often is important to me. Uh, and it was especially important to me as uh, a youngster. So yeah. uh, <laughs> um, I came down after and um, began corporate life. Um, in, in Fort Lauderdale, in Fort Lauderdale right? Okay. So I graduated from university, came down to Fort Lauderdale, and, and began my professional career. And you didn't get a pro contract in the NFL? No, I, I flirted with the CFL. Uh, really? And, yeah. Wow. So I have one one check, uh, and um, so uh, they cut me. Player. Then they cut me. Then they cut me. So you know, I moved on. <laughs> I don't talk about it much because oh, it was good, uh, it wasn't that's real. More than most people get. <laughs> it was a fun ride. <laughs> yeah. So I got to play um, a lot of football during my life, and athletics are an important part of my upbringing and really my thinking even in business. So I think that's relevant. Um, and I think there's a really interesting ju juxtaposition of removing the athletic mentality to business because real life doesn't always operate like the football field, you know? So yeah. there's Sometimes some- Sometimes we wish it did. Like yeah. you could just tackle that person. That's right. Yeah. Beat, that's absolutely true. Beat on them. Yeah. And as a <laughs> linebacker, that's really upsetting to me. We can't just do that sometimes. But uh, yeah, so I'm that's the story there. Friend, I'm not going to get tackled. <laughs> this is a safe spot. Um, <laughs> and I'm-, I'm I'm the nice guy with a temper, right? So I, I had to like figure out how to do that yeah. in uh, in business and uh, something that was always kind of rewarded on the playing field was, right. you know, use that streak to get what you need, right? So that was a huge adjustment into the, adjustment into the real world, of course. Um, but Fort Lauderdale became home okay. and corporate life began. I'm a designer by trade. So I, I, I went to the creative scene and um, I was really uh, a unique college student because I was an athlete in the arts program. So as a fine arts student, um, there weren't many of us. <laughs> and uh, coming down into Fort Lauderdale, even as I began my, my, my professional career, it was really hard for me to get plugged in. I, I really, was struggling to find my people. Where are the other people that were 
interested in the things that I was professionally interesting and really, you know, uh, building a career, um, getting ahead. Um, and my career path went from agency life, designer, art director, creative director, into more of a marketing role, corporate marketing role. And that's where I really was exposed to the business side, uh, as opposed to just making creative decisions. You know, I was, I was thrown into a small company that, uh, a family business that IPO'd. So it was a very cool experience. Um, wow. and I got to see a lot of things, uh, that I probably wouldn't have seen if I was in a larger organization in those same circumstances. And that's really, really kind of cut my chops as a professional, but Which I was still, company was that? that company's called mile marker. They're in the automotive aftermarket and, uh, they're a manufacturer of recovery products, uh, for off-road products. It's a fun brand. And as a young guy, I was doing Jeep life and ATV life. It was a really fun journey. I traveled around the world. It was a fun company to work with. Um, but it also had a lot of uh, small business turmoil, right? Family-run business and yeah. challenges from that. Um, I got to navigate government contracts and I got to build a national sales team and um, really do a lot of interesting things as a global marketing director. And uh, I think without that experience, it was, it was for me as somebody who wasn't an MBA guy, had no real business support um, in my life. I think that was uh, really critical for me to jump off the ledge and, and build my own thing. Yeah. So when did the company IPO and then what happened with you? Yeah. So, so um, they, I think they, the IPO was 2006 and it was during that era where a lot of companies went public way too early, you know, and I, as a young professional, I have no idea this is just happening. Right. Mm -hmm. At that point in the company, I was just an employee and I didn't really have any opinion on whether this was good or bad, right? <laughs> um, but it was just a, a really interesting dynamic. You know, the company really was never doing over $50 million in revenue um, and they IPO'd and it was really just money off the table for the founding team. And an interesting ride for me yeah. um, because I was like, really a part of all that. Yeah. Um, but um, I didn't know if it was the right or the wrong move. It turns out it was really like the beginning of some more com complicated management decisions. So I was um, just kind of watching this company. Really, I was building the product line. Um, but seeing managers at this level, I thought was, you know, I thought were competent humans kind of turn over, over and over again. So there were six CEOs while I was there. Wow. And so the writing was on the wall that I was, you know, ready to move on. And for me, um, as I mentioned, not coming from a business background, really being a product guy and a creative jumping into that mindset, there felt like a big barrier there for me, right? I had a lot of insecurity and still do, right? I still look at myself through a certain lens as a technologist <laughs> and creative problem solver, being a business guy and financial engineer and all the things that business owners need to be was way out of my comfort zone. So I think looking back, I probably scooped up as much value in that experience as I, as I could. And then um, segue that into my entrepreneurial journey. They became my first client, which was very cool. Oh, wow. And that's how I left and began uh, what was my first company, um, a software company called Trim. And, um, which was very quickly, uh, preceded general provision. That company was just an agency model. And looking back at what I knew, that was actually the, the dream that I had in college. You know, I, I was, I wanted to be creative. I wanted to build things. I wanted to design things. I wanted to create amazing experiences and the pinnacle of uncomplicated business models for me as a, as a young college student was owning an agency, yeah. right? Having a creative agency where we're doing and building interesting things, solving unique problems, um, and, um, having a brain trust of talented humans that could do that well. 
that's what I wanted to do. Wow. And so I, I left uh, the corporate world to, to begin that. And uh, it's actually the easiest business to get into, right? I think that's where general provision, the birth of general provision is relevant because we support so many people that have kind of gone down that similar trajectory yeah. um, in the agency life. I think that's so cool that you highlight, you know, so we hear this uh, again and again with entrepreneurs, right? They have insecurities, they have fear. They're, they're, you know, hey, I can't do that. I never did this. This is my, you know, I'm a designer. I'm an, and, but yet you push through it and you said, oh, well, you know, I'm going to do this. And you founded, you know, you got trim going. And then the next business was, was this one? Was GP. Yeah. yeah. So, um, yeah. So you jump off and, and you got to figure it out. Right. Yeah. And for us, um, completely bootstrapped. Right. I mean, I, I, the, the first business, um, I cashed in my 401k to finance the company and, um, we quickly needed an office, right? There's, we were remote first by design, especially as a tech company in South Florida. This is going back to 2010. Mm -hmm. Um, the scene was very, very different back then. Yeah. And the anxiety that I had was I can't find anyone to hire the, the talent for software development engineers, software engineers and, and development professionals was very, very difficult to find. There were not a lot of us in the industry and um locally locally in south yeah. florida right and you know even finding other tech companies was was a difficult conversation to have um there was a definition of digital agencies in the marketing world that kind of blended but when you got into real product development and and needing to find people that actually wrote code at a at a high level those are really difficult conversations to to seek out um here locally at least from little old me from little old nowhere, right? Yeah. So the solution for me was to try to build a place where we could gather and to see if that would work. It was a pure experiment. It had no business model. General provision <laughs> had no plan. Um, we wanted to build a space where we could kind of attract the creative and technology community when there wasn't much of one. And uh, that was the game plan. It stopped there. Uh, we needed to do some work in an office from time to time, even though we were largely remote. So we began through that direction and it worked. And that's, and that that's was the general story. Village, right? The beginning was in Fab Village in the warehouse district. The art and tech district was an easy decision for me. There was not much of an art and tech district when I first saw the space, but um, CrossFit brought me there actually. So <laughs> there was a CrossFit building yeah. there and I was like, okay, the CrossFit gym is the only business in the art and tech district really. I don't really understand it, but I want to be in the art and tech district too. <laughs> so we funny. committed to building, you know, the, a tech company and a creative community in the art and tech district. And that's where general provision began. And so how about money? Cause that requires some yeah. money to get that going. Yeah. Right? yeah. How'd you get to your money? How'd yeah. You so you like I said, I was, um, all in. So I, I, I had little, uh, mm -hmm. little capital and, um, back to the insecurity of a, not a business minded person. Um, I was, totally afraid of what a bank would say or how do I get this going? So thanks yeah, are scary. I, I committed to That's doing scary. it myself. Right. <laughs> and so, um, I rode on a motorcycle for two years, cashing the 401k. And, um, I partnered 50, 50 at GP in our first location with a uh, co-founder general, uh, Charlie Lawrence, who was pivotal. We built the space together. He's a great local entrepreneur. Um, but ultimately he was doing 10 other business at once. So he had, uh, he, he needed to kind of focus on other things. So to get him on the show. Yeah. I was able to, um, <laughs> we were able to, uh, uh, buy him out and focus on GP exclusively. But between he and I, we built the original location and went all in together finance wise. We just went 50, 50 and just made it work. And it was shoestring budget. 
a lot of ingenuity. Um, I like to share, share with anyone that's been to Fat Village that our blood is in the walls there, right? Literally, you know, we hammered nails and made desks and uh, that was the, the, the beginning. It was such a cool spot too. So we had another bank before this one and we had a desk over there in, uh, in Fat Village. And that was our first kind of exposure to, to that scene because, uh, you know, as you say, banks are scary, right? To a lot of people, they're intimidated by that. So for us, it's like, hey, you know, let's, let's go and sit with the creatives. Let's go and sit with the cool, at the cool kids table kind of yep. and see what happens. So for us, it was great. It led us to, to be in here. So, um, but so that, that first uh, launch over there, how did it go? We were welcomed from an event capacity really strong. So there was very little plan. Both my co-founder and myself were running other companies at once, yeah. which is kind of another hindsight big lesson. And I think you get that. A lot of smart mentors, uh, investors, bankers will always tell you that, you know, absent founder or multiple things going on. And, and even, you know, just my recommendation is, you know, you have to go in all in and you have to be in very deep to be really effective. And I have the scars of trying to build two companies in parallel at once, bootstrapping really two companies at once mm. before we took an investment money. Um, so we'll get to that journey um, as we as General Provision grew. But in the early days, um, the launch was really great from a community building perspective, but we weren't making any money, right? We had no intention really to make money in the beginning. <laughs> and um, really we needed an office and we wanted to build community. So yes. our initiatives early were to have great events create a place where people would gather, um, galvanize the tech and creative community. And from that perspective, it was really successful. I think the turning point for the business began when um, we first uh, recruited the first coding academy in Broward County up from Miami. So we partnered with WinCode, which is now BrainStation. Um, but we became the first uh, in-house coding academy in the city and in the county. And that's when the business started to take a different shape. Mm-hmm. and um, that was kind of uh, big win number one. The macro industry of co-working started to blow up shortly after. Um, so we had these tailwinds of flexible office needs, WeWorks growth. Yeah. And so um, more and more of what we were trying to do made sense to a lot more people. We outgrew three spaces in Fat Village. We kept tacking on warehouse square footage and tacking on <laughs> warehouse square footage. And ultimately we uh, ended up needing a second location. And, and now the trajectory is, is up and to the right from here. Yeah. So, so that, uh, that village location, you, you moved out of there now, right? Certainly. Yep. How yep. did that uh, decision come about? Yeah. So it was completely not mine. Uh, I wish we were still there. Um, yeah. that village is no longer right. So they are redeveloping the area. Um, and you know, you know, there's, there's disappointment and challenges and how everything kind of took place there. Um, but we were, we knew what we were signing up for in a district like that, right? Yeah. Knowing that there's, this is probably a redevelopment play. Um, and the ownership was, was pretty transparent. I think the only difference is that we were promised that we would, would be able to stay through that evolution. So um, when push came to shove and we actually had to up and leave, um, this is where my biggest pain in running this type of business really comes in is that navigating construction, real estate, leasing, um, fundraising as it, as it relates to that yeah. is, is just so timely and intensive and very hard to 
um, execute on a calendar timeline that you needed to. Right. So, um, you know, we, we went through those pains in Fat Village. We're currently rebuilding our next uh, location in that area, but uh, we wish we were open right now. We wish we could yeah. make the timing work perfectly. Sure. Yeah. Sure. yeah. So, so tell us about that. So you decided now you, you're doing another Yes, uh, that's right. So we'll, um, you know, we built a, a strong contingent of, of members in Flagler Village area. Um, you know, Fat Village as a brand is, is kind of tied to that particular property. Mm-hmm. Um, so the the general Flagler Village area is really where a lot of our uh, our, our members live and um, would like to do business. So uh, we're going to be launching our uh, our uh, new location. Um, we're we're very close to going public with that announcement of the address, but uh, things are things are moving there. We will definitely be in Flagler Village. Um, in the interim, we're expanding the downtown space here, the, the building that we're in right now. Yes. Uh, we're actually uh, increasing our office capacity uh, by 100%. So wow. we're, we're putting another 25 offices over there. Cool. Um, so it's exciting times. And I think we've, more importantly, we've, we've started to really understand who we are as a company and as a club, um, understanding who our customer is more, um, and there's some important details that got us there, the most being the pandemic. Yeah. Right. That was huge. Yeah. The change in everything for us um, catalyzed, uh, really repositioned us as a company, but it, we came out so much stronger as a brand and an offering um, that we've learned how we're going to grow with a lot more confidence. So you made a big Im- impact here in, in Fort Lauderdale. You live in Nashville. Uh, you go back and forth. That's yep. a, that's a lot, you yep. know, commuting back and forth. Yeah. Have you ever thought about going into other cities, Nashville or? Hundred uh, percent. Yeah. So um, trajectory for us is into new markets. Um, we are going to stay regional first. Um, with with this weirdness for me, you know, because I do split time in Nashville and Nashville's home. Um, as a Floridian, I, I still struggle admitting that. Uh, <laughs> but Nashville is my current home, yeah. so uh, we have a lot of due diligence in that market. Um, it's also a very healthy, very strong creative class community. And uh, we're ready to, to move into that uh, location, into that market as well. That will probably come after we um, build out our Flagler Village location. Uh, we're going to run an experiment in Nashville pretty soon. Um, but South Florida is still really important for us. The, the, the network effects and overlap of where our clubhouses are located from a regional strategy is really important. So when you say regional, are you looking at other locations in South yeah. Florida right Yeah, now? yeah. So okay. we've we started, uh, most of our, our R&D is north. Um, we, before the pandemic, decided that we were probably going to uh, skip jumping into Miami and head to Palm Beach mm-hmm. and continue north, hit Tampa and Orlando and grow that way. I think that, you know, we've had this... V- once in a generation phenomenon from the pandemic uh, and the movement in the tech community into South Florida. So we're relooking at Miami as a location. And I think that at this point, it would bring a lot of value to our current members, right? So taking the neighborhood approach like we do, which is an important distinction, we are not really market driven as much as we are neighborhood driven. And um, from a real estate strategy, we want to serve remote workers and the creative class community that's in their apartment or in their house all day long that needs to get out of the house, that's where we want to bring value. So the driver for our decisions are really in dense neighborhoods, Yeah. right? I mean, it's nice being downtown like we are here, but our Flagler Village location is relevant because it's accessible and it's uh, an exciting neighborhood, but we had a large contingency of people that would walk and ride a bike because it's around the corner. 
So I'm going to pivot for just a second and ask you about uh, a concept that's right over here, society, right? Yeah, sure. So that's Adam Newman mm-hmm. from, from WeWorks. Um, and, and the concept is let's have everybody live, work, you know, never leave that building except maybe to go to the wharf and, yep. you know, stagger home. But what do you think of that? Uh, I think it's relevant. Um, so the timeliness and obviously as someone in the industry, I've spent a lot of time looking at WeWork and following the Adam Newman story. And, you know, there's a lot of oxygen that's uh, being taken up nowadays with, <laughs> with the, the, the rebirth of, of Flow and Adam Newman's new project. Um, but I think the underlying, you know, rather than getting the semantics of operational decisions and what has happened with WeWork and, and I, I think that the vision has always been strong. And, and I think the evolution from WeWork to Flow, the residential concept, um, is in line with a lot of the things that we're attacking right now okay. in that we know that our users need to get out of their house. Um, they benefit from community. Community is the most overused term in my industry. Um, it's a really cheap way of applying uh, something that's very tangible if you do it well into something that is a commodity-driven office space, right? So I'm very careful about how much we use the word community, but we are a community-led company. And I think that um, Adam Newman's intentions are to build that value at the real community level where these where the amenities and the connections are very real. And I think that that's uh, an interesting, interesting discussion. We'll see what happens. Yeah. So when you say that too, so what's going through my mind is, you know, we're a community bank, yep. right? So, yep. so that me- used to mean, you know, geographically, uh-huh. right? You're a geographic community. But now, as you're saying, now we, we have digital communities. We that's have right. other communities that expand beyond uh, the geographic location, but are more aligned with interests and, and uh, what, are you, what are you working on or what is your you know, affinity group, right? That's right? And so, you know, those are different things that we're discussing too as a bank. Like how do we identify those groups and form digital communities? But very interesting. So you got one of the things you said, as advice was, you know, don't try to do two businesses at the same time or multiple businesses, but you are doing it. So which one are, is the, in your raising a young family, which one yeah. is, uh, but we'll keep that out for now. So yeah. we'll just talk business. Sure. Which of the businesses is more demanding or takes more of your time? Yeah. So, um, I used to have a very specific weekly schedule. And certainly fires would come up, but I would allocate my time and try to time box everything because it felt like the only way I could power through two businesses, two small businesses at the time. But we managed to get uh, both startups uh, bootstrapped uh, and on a seven-figure run rate uh, with a very small team and with very little outside capital. And so um, we were, um, in the early days, my software company was very, very demanding. And I think that we've grown to the place where we have enough infrastructure and management in place where uh, it's a very different story now. And I'm able to lean in significantly to what I think is a very critical time at GP um, because I see the opportunity. I'm excited about what we're doing. Like I said, we came out of the pandemic with a real solidity, so, really solidification of who we are and what we're doing. And um, I'm ready to uh, really go all in on, and to see where we can take GP. Um, it is difficult managing two companies. Uh, there was a period where we were so small that I was doing it all and managing a family. Um, the balance conversation of that is, is something maybe we can get into in a little bit, but <laughs> I, I, it was very, very difficult in the beginning to the point where 
relationships are strained. You know, it's just everything is difficult. Sleep, health. You know, he lost lost track of a lot of things that I went into as important. You know, yeah. and so I don't think it's uh, the right path. It's just where I found myself, and um, I committed to fighting through it. And um, that's kind of how I'm cut. Uh, the cloth. That's the cloth that I'm made from. But I think that I was playing business on hard mode for sure. Yeah. Yeah. So couple of the things that I usually ask everybody. One is, you know, so it, it sounds like you were able to, you don't have any great bank stories. Uh, so it doesn't I sound anti, like- it, I have anti-bank stories. You have anti-bank stories, which <laughs> I'm happy to hear because we like to hear about those and, and try to solve those problems for entrepreneurs. Uh, but how about mentors? Yeah. Yeah. So uh, mentorship is, I think it's, it's a real unlock as a young entrepreneur. I'm not young anymore, but it's starting something early. Um, it's important to note that that's part of the GP mission is being around people that can help you through it. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, so it was a bit of a life hack and a business hack for me to create GP, right? Because I was stacking my own deck by also, but also helping other people around me. Right. Um, I've since found mentors that I've been able to really invest and, and they've invested in me that have really been a difference maker. And I think I've uh, had a standing rule that I think that one deeply invested mentor is more valuable than a handful of loosely committed men- mentors, right? So, um, you know, there's been a dozen really strong mentors around me, but I have one person that I, it's, it's really deep in, right? And the context is there, which I think is the most difficult piece, right? To really help people you have to dive in. You have to roll up your, your sleeves a bit and really understand the context of everything that's going on. Um, I really believe in the founder magic, meaning you know the ins and outs of your business as a founder more than the person that sits across the desk for an hour a month does, right? And so I think to be really valuable as a mentor, you have to, you have to invest at a level of context that not everybody gets to, but they still call themselves uh, a mentor-mentee relationship. So I have one of those now, but I'm also in... Um, a group, not only GP, which is an, a growing area of what yeah. we're trying to do here, is invest more in the programmatic sure. elements of that. Um, but outside of GP, I have um, a, a group of entrepreneurs that are similar place in time. Um, there's a couple outliers, but for the most part, we're grouped. We've, we found a group of people that are you know in similar size and, and sometimes similar industry overlaps, which is just just a huge acceleration to problem solving. Yeah, yeah. So mentorship has been. Um, massively valuable. Is that a, is that a group that you put together or is it like one that's, is it like EO? Yeah. So it's, it's, uh, it's become, become organic. So I, I, uh there's a couple relationships, um, from the Twitter sphere that have kind of built, uh, you know, some guys on Twitter, we just kind of like started communicating and then one guy tried, he brought in three other people and then all of a sudden it became a a real thing, but it's, it's, it's become very valuable to us. Yeah. Interesting. Yeah. So that's, that sounds, that sounds very powerful. I'm in Vistage, which is similar group, but certainly that's already, that was, I didn't, that was an organic, I didn't put that together. Sure. I, I jumped in and have found it very valuable. So let's go to the, you know, work-life balance. You talked about that a little bit, you know, how you went, had to go like, you know, all in on, yeah. on the business side. Uh, talk a little about your experience with that. Yeah. So on a personal level, I have a wife and three children now, right? We mentioned that quickly, but I have a, uh, an amazing physician at home. My wife is a doctor. She has a job, right? She's mm-hmm. 
got our own things going on. I have my own things going on. And then we've created this beautiful family. And uh, we moved to Nashville away from in-laws. That wasn't the reason, but the point is we don't have a large support structure there near us. So we're doing it by ourselves and figuring it all out. And um, I think that um, there's definitely a lot of challenges in being an entrepreneur, but times two with a young family in a young marriage, uh, you know, everything kind of happened fast in my, in my personal life. You know, I got, I started the business, uh, right before I was 30, got married at 30 and kids happened very quickly. So it, we went from zero to 100 very quickly. Yeah. Long story short on the integration and balance conversation. I think that it's very hard to define work-life balance when you're building, right? I think that there are sacrifices that, um, need to be made that, uh, are all trade-off decisions, right? And the the lesson learned uh, and, and where I'm at now is that there has to be an end game, right? I think that um, the commitment that I made to my wife and I'm starting to really come make good on is that the pain has to end at some point, right? So if we look at designing a perfect life and taking a swing at some of these entrepreneurial visions can net out um, uh, a highly valuable, happy life, uh, at least monetarily, of course, right? There's other things that are involved in being happy. <laughs> I don't want to get into that right now, of course, but from a business success standpoint, if those gains help our family, um, I want to make sure that I'm not committing to just being on the pain train forever. So <laughs> I'm, uh, where do we, eight going on nine years in, yeah. and it's, uh, it's a different ride than it was two years ago. Um, by the grace of God and hard work, right? But like I, from from getting to the balance conversation, the net net is you have to. I I if I'm gonna if I ever do this again, the the timeline that I would commit to myself and to my family would be a lot shorter because uh, yeah. I extended the pain train a little bit, right? I said, <laughs> okay, we're gonna do it for three years. That became five years of really tough slugging it out. Um, and now, you know, like I said, we're uh, going on nine years in, and I'm off the pain train. It's a different. It's a it's a different train now, um, but it's not the same level of commitment that uh, it once was. And I don't think my family would survive if I just stayed on the the, the tough ride forever. Yeah. Well, that's, well, congratulations on getting uh, <laughs> off the, the pain train, yep. right? Yep. And, and arriving on a much smoother ride. So a lot of great lessons, a lot of, uh, you know, just an interesting background. Wow. Very cool. I didn't know about the football either. So, uh, but, you know, again, I just a special place here. I mean, I think you look around this place, everybody loves it. It's a community that you've built. And, you know, I was just thinking, I'm, I want to start doing, uh, when we, you know, eventually we're leaving, we do have a building yeah, we're going to with course. the bank. We got to become a, you know, we got to grow up at some point, leave our 100 square foot office. Uh, but um, but we, we're going to stay here. I mean, we're going to have a desk or something, you know, yeah. and, uh, and, and I want to do like a, an office hours here because I'm thinking about what you said about the pain of dealing with banks. I'm thinking, you know, if I do, open, you know, I do a couple hours of office hour here yeah. and just say, Hey, come on in. And you know, I might not be able to solve every problem. We lend, can't lend money to everybody. Right. Yeah. Yes. But we can point them in it. And we've done that with some of the people here right. actually where we could lend them money, but we got them money yep. from us because we know people who lend Referred money to other products and other, other things. relationships. Yeah. Absolutely. It's, it's yeah. important. And you, you guys, I'm so thankful for the relationship, but you know, I, I think we talked a lot about, uh, my background and it, how it didn't involve a, a community bank, but our relationship and what you've built here at GP, 
you know, we're not only grateful for you being a part of the story, but you've changed my dynamic and the relationship with how I should be investing further in a community bank and the importance of a small business with that relationship. Wow. I, I, it was hard mode, right? So I did it before the, the wrong way. And as we grow up or if we do the next thing, we won't be playing on hard mode anymore. Perfect. Right? Well, that sounds great. And we look forward to being part of uh, your future. So uh, anything we can do to help you, let us know. And, and you'll always be part of our, of our business and our future. So anything else you want to add before we uh, go to the lightning round? With oh, questions? no, I'm, I'm, now I'm, I'm just excited by the lightning round. I'm, I'm good. I'm good. <laughs> so this is where we just hit you with, a, you know, first thing comes to your mind, questions. So uh, first is a favorite quote. Oh, gosh. Um, okay, so I probably should go a lot deeper than this, but uh, I, I have a relationship with a, a client uh, who's building a really great company called Bear Performance Nutrition. And uh, he just went on Fox News, but he has this tattooed, uh, his slogan on his arm called Go One More. And as the guy <laughs> that's cut from the cloth that just kind of beats through the bag and fights through things, um, that's a, it's a very uh, non-deep quote that has been driving me through things lately. So front of mind, that's what you're going to get. Go One that's More. That's great. Yeah. No, that's good. How about um, happiest moment in business and lowest moment in business? Yeah. Um, so I think um, launching a space uh, like this became a very big deal for us. Uh, um, so the construction process is probably quickly the lowest point. Uh, <laughs> so I will say that um, fighting through the difficulty of actually getting spaces done, and especially at our level, right? A small team, yeah. have to be bootstrapped, have to be, I'm sorry, have to be really roll up your sleeves and get things done uniquely and creatively. Um, dealing with permitting and construction delays to ultimately get to a place where you're cutting the ribbon and going live. Um, it's, it's very different than my software life. You know, launching an app in the app store, building an app and having that go live is very, very much a celebratory moment. Uh, but the complexities of construction, um, I don't want to be good at construction. I want to be good at building GP and building community. Yeah. Um, so the happiest moment up until now is probably just getting this thing launched after all the pain, which is the the lowest moment. <laughs> okay, that's that's great. How about a favorite like streaming series or movie or, or something to watch? Yeah, so I'm I'm a dad and uh, I uh, I don't watch a ton of TV, um, so I, I consume a lot of uh, business content. Um, so I have some favorite podcasts. Oh, um, you know, my, my, um, uh, my first million with Sam Parr and Sean Purdy is a, is a one of his way up there. I listened to, so the, the, the three that I'm religious about yes. are pivot podcast, uh, which is, uh, a tech and, uh, news relevant podcast, which is pretty popular. Um, my first million, which is just a down to earth, uh, young entrepreneur podcast with two great guys that are, are really growing in, in popularity. Um, and then, um, all in podcast, which is, has some of the, the, the tech industry's, uh, biggest VC names that, uh, come around the table, their friends. And, uh, those are my three. So all in pivot and my first million are my, my go-to pods. Great. Yeah. Well, thank you. Yep. How about book? Uh, I read a lot of books. Uh, I, I, there's always a debate on my team about if I can actually say that I read books when I listen to them on audible. I don't know where you stand on that, Keith, but, yeah. uh, either way. <laughs> <laughs> so I, I, um, the most recent 
exciting books. Um, Jim McKelvey, the founder of Square, uh, who was a Miami resident for a little bit as well. He, he published a book called The Innovation Stack, which I really enjoyed recently. Um, that was a great read. Um, the Cold Start Problem by Andrew Chen is a really great read recently. It goes way deep in MRR and annual recurrent revenue models, which uh-huh. is a, a great geek, geek read for me. Um, but the most inspiring story that I've read recently uh, was Bob, Iger, Bob Iger's story, uh, Right of a Lifetime, um, which is the, the, found, uh, the CEO of Disney. Yeah. Um, and he had a, just a great, great story. And he yeah. went deep into all of the acquisitions and uh, is a fascinating book. Yeah. And I, I highly recommend that one. Oh, interesting. I heard he just joined a uh, VC company. Yeah, he's, he's still making moves, right? He's, yeah. Yeah, he's still doing stuff. Yeah. yeah, cool. How about, uh, you know, you're working a lot, you're doing hobbies, spare time? Yeah. A little so, bit of spare time? Yeah, uh, not, not much spare time, but um, I'm, 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 I'm trying to get back into shape so that the journey out of dad bod is, has commenced. Um, now that we're done having babies, uh, I'm, I'm going to, uh, get back in shape. So, um, getting back in the ocean a lot more and surfing and diving is important to me. Um, harder to do that in Nashville. So riding bikes and running a lot more is important to me. Um, uh, once I come out of a little back injury, I'll be back in the CrossFit gym. So awesome. that's kind of, that's what's uh, happening now. Hey, great. Good to hear it. And I'm going to ask, uh, Favorite restaurant in Fort Lauderdale and yeah. favorite restaurant in Nashville because uh, a lot of okay. us do go to Nashville too. Yeah. Well, listen, uh, <laughs> this is a layup, but you know, I love the fact that we're at GP and we can shoot over to Pura Vida and have a healthy oh, meal, yeah. you know, so I, I'm enjoying that. Um, uh, at a deeper level, um, I am a fan of all the, 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 the restaurants that Memphis Garrett, Memphis Garrett is creating here in town. So, uh, he's at, he's got Yamas and, um, uh, no man's land, a bar, uh, in town. So, um, I, I try to elevate him as a local entrepreneur. Um, and in Nashville, uh, my favorite celebrity chef is a guy named Sean. His last name has escaped me, but the restaurant that is my pinnacle right now up there is called Audrey. And it took, he, he is a, uh, um, celebrity level that most foodies know and i'm embarrassed i can't remember his last name but um he's taken the all of his bad experiences of being in the hospitality and food and bev industry and he's created the the what he calls the mecca of wellness for the hospitality world the restaurant world so there's an employee only massage program and massage room mental health room um, they, there's a, it's an amazing <laughs> approach to, uh, to food. Um, and then the product itself is incredible. It's a beautiful yeah. building. Food's delicious. So Audrey in East Nashville is an amazing spot. Cool. Yeah. All right. Well, Tim, that's all we have, uh, for you for today. Thank you very much. For Thanks, being Keith. On and, appreciate uh, you. Absolutely. Appreciate you. Thank you. See you soon. Wow, what a great episode and, and really meaningful for us because this is where Locality Bank started right here at General Provision. So a lot of really good advice from, from Tim about trying to do too many things at once, work-life uh, balance, which is always tough for entrepreneurs, and the value of, of having mentors and, and also the difficulty of dealing with banks, which uh, I'm sorry to hear from most entrepreneurs, but I'm also happy to hear for us because that's what we're here to do is help entrepreneurs get financing, help them get funding, help them accomplish their dreams and and their missions. 
But you can uh, follow our podcast uh, wherever you listen to podcasts, Spotify or whatever. And you can also connect with us at localitybank.com or on our app. Thanks. We'll see you next time. Thanks for tuning in for Locality's Making Bank podcast. Be sure to subscribe on your favorite podcast platform to catch the latest episodes and visit localitybank.com today to learn more about all the benefits of banking local.